Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. Now, mating systems in plants and animals tend to be fairly different. But in this episode, we're going to meet a fish that may have more in common with plants than other vertebrates. What do I mean by this? Well, let's find out, as we talk to the author behind the new heredity paper, More Than Meets the Eye, syntopic and morphologically similar mangrove killifish species show different mating systems and patterns of genetic structure along the Brazilian coast. These little fish are incredible, and the author has braved some pretty arduous fieldwork in order to bring you this research. So let's get into it. First of all, welcome to the Heredity Podcast. Can you please just tell everybody listening who you are? Hey, thank you very much for the invitation. My name is Valdir Berbel Filho. I'm a Brazilian biologist. I recently finished my PhD in Swansea University in Wales. So thank you for joining me to discuss your paper in Heredity, which focuses on some species of mangrove killifish, which look pretty unassuming, but are actually pretty incredible vertebrates. So can you just tell us a bit about the species you focused on and what makes them so special? Sure, yeah. The mangrove killifishes are actually amazing. They don't look very nice compared to the other killifishes that you find around. But they are very, very special. I mean, as far as we know, there are seven species on this genus. The genus is called Cryptolabias. So the mangrove group is composed by three species, and two of those are the only vertebrates that are capable of self-fertilization that we know of. Wow. So it's quite a particular organism, and there is the extreme adaptation to live in the kind of environments that they live. They live kind of temporary environments in mangrove microhabitats, like within crab burrows. They can live out of water for two months. They have these special mating systems, so make them very, very particular. Mm, they they sound incredible. They actually don't really sound that real. Um, <laughs> but I guess there's quite a lot of interesting biology going on there. So what specifically was it that you were focused in on in this paper? So as I mentioned before, there are three species. Two of them we know are capable of self-fertilization. And the other one, call it Cryptolebes ocellatus, is the one that's distributed in South and Southeast Brazil, and we don't know much about this one. So basically, we knew from taxonomic systematic works that exist. But after we discovered that there is this whole variation on mating systems and way to reproduce, we wanted to know more about these other species that people didn't invest much time. So our main questions are actually, first of all, what's the way that these species reproduce? What's the mating systems? It's important to highlight here that mating system is a very broad term, but uh, this is a funny story. It's just like this term has different meanings if you're working with mostly with animals or with plants. As most of the plants are hermaphrodites, mating system actually means the amount of outcrossing or selfing that the individual does. Because as you are hermaphrodite, you have, there is a possibility of selfing. Uh, in animals, in most of the animals, uh, they are either males or females in different individuals. Mating system means something more. How do you relate reproductively to the other organisms of the same species? Meaning monogamy and polygamy, these are mating systems in animals. So the mangrove killifishes, I had to look at the plant biology stuff to understand that, mostly. <laughs> and what I meant to say on, on trying to understand that is I have to use this definition. So mating systems, when the hermaphrodites are involved, that's the case for the mangrove killifishes, means the amount of self-inversus outcrossing that happens. And 
basically, we knew these three species, Cryptolebes marmoratus, Cryptolebes hermaphroditus, those are the two ones that are capable of self-fertilization, and Cryptolebes ocellatus, that seems to be the outgroup of those two. We are certain if this species could be also self-fertilized. So the main idea was try to sample these species across the known distribution that's around 800 kilometers in south and southeast Brazil and compare the patterns of genetic structure from these species with the other one that happens in some populations in Sympatria or Syntopi. So they happen together, especially and temporary, in some populations in southeast Brazil. So basically, we wanted to know what's the effect of different mating systems on the patterns of genetic structure. Mm. No, fantastic. I find it really funny that you're talking there about the plant systems. On a recent episode, we had Alex Twyford from the University of Edinburgh, who was basically making the case for us to pay a lot more attention to plant systems and how it could like even inform vertebrate studies. And this is a really good <laughs> case study of that. But I guess one thing I find quite interesting is you're talking there about the spatial distribution of these species. And I understand that you did a lot of your own fieldwork. So before we get into, I guess, what you found in this study, I just wonder what it was like going into the Brazilian mangroves and actually sampling these fish. Oh, that's 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 tough. Yeah. Working in the mangroves, especially for this fish, is really, really challenging task. I mean, to be honest, 10 years ago, in 2011, there was only two populations known from these species in Brazil. And people thought, oh, maybe these species were really rare. But actually, they are so hard to find. And most of the people who work with fish, the freshwater people, don't go to this kind of environments, and the marine people don't go to this kind of environment. So the mangrove is a kind of <laughs> unknown area. And the fish is not very big. It hides very well. It's very cryptic. As I said, kind of inhabits this very cryptic environments within mangrove forests. We are talking about very temporary pools, crab burrows. <laughs> so basically, you're looking for a fish that's not longer than three centimeters in the mangrove environment that's highly complex, that's affected by tidal variation twice a day. So it, it is a challenge. You end up with many, many mosquito bites and tons of mud <laughs> all over your face. And so it, 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 is, it is challenging work with mangrove fillyfishes. That's one of the reasons that people thought they were so rare. Maybe they were looking at the wrong places, or maybe they, uh, I mean, they are, they, are, they, are, they are hard to catch. Yeah, they, they sound very hard to catch. I'm not going to lie. I feel like I might give up in the face of lots of mosquitoes and mud. <laughs> but you didn't, and you collected lots of samples. And I'm curious about what you did once you had collected them all. As I said, we were interested to compare the patterns of genetic structure across mating systems, even in the same area in Brazil. So we collect the fish. We brought them from the labs. This was a 4,500 kilometers trip in southern and southern southeast Brazil in 2017. We brought them back to the lab. And I was mainly, to compare the, the levels of genetic structure, we were using microsatellites and mitochondrial DNA, basically. What we wanted to know first is what's the mating system of Cryptolebes ocellatus. That's the one that we didn't know much about it. We didn't know much about it. And also compare the patterns of genetic structure between the species that look very similar, but as I'm going to tell later, is they are actually very different. Nice. And I guess when you're looking at the mating system, can you tell that just from the genetics? It's a good indication at first. So there are some expectations that you see on the data according to the different mating systems. So if one species is mostly selfing, you expect very low levels of heterozygosity. Most of the loci is going to deviate from Hart-Venberg equilibrium. But there is also behavioral observations. So 
people on the selfing species, Cryptolevis hermaphroditus, people already have been breeding them in the lab and knew that they self-fertilize. It's amazing. I mean, if people who work with fish and they usually, when they want them to breed, you have to have two individuals on the right side, blah, blah, blah. These fish just don't care. It's just, it's <laughs> incredible. I, I, when I was working with them, I just took for granted that I was just like, okay, uh, there is one individual and it's going to lay eggs and the, the eggs are fertilized. But actually, it's quite amazing. It's quite amazing that one individual, if you think about biologically, one individual can found a whole population. Mm. So you kind of combine genetic data with behavioral and breeding data. And we had some sort of indications that Cryptolabias ocellatus mostly reproduced via outcrossing, but it was minimal. There was only looking at two populations and the behavioral data was not very clear. But our genetic data across the whole species distribution kind of confirmed that if selfing occurs, it's really rare. I mean, we can discard that selfing occurs, but it seems like outcross is the most common way of reproducing on these species. Mm, no, fantastic and incredibly interesting. And I guess you've kind of just touched upon it there, but I wonder what the sort of big results you were finding here were. Like, you've obviously just touched upon the mating systems, but also the genetic structure, how they're related to one another. What was it that you were finding here? Yeah, one of the main theoretical expectations that generally people in population genetics have is that selfing species, they tend to have several selfing lines within the same environment. So within the selfing lines, you don't expect to have much genetic variation, but across the species distribution, you expect to have a lot of variation. So you expect to have much more genetic structure in a broad geographic scale in selfing species versus outcrossing species. So that's what the theoretical prediction that we had on mind when comparing these two species. We confirmed that one was mostly outcrossing. We knew that the, the other one was mostly selfing. And we compare the patterns of genetic structure that we saw across the Brazilian coast, basically. And the main, the main results, despite of the confirmation of outcrossing in one species, is the fact that, surprisingly, the outcrossing species show a deeper level of genetic structure than the selfing species in the same area. So mating system although theoretically has an effect, on this case, it seems that other factors are having a strong effect on the pattern of genetic structure that we see along the Brazilian coast, along the Brazilian mangroves. Mm. More specifically, to show how striking are the differences, the outcrossing species that's only distributing 800 kilometers of the Brazilian coast in South and Southeast Brazil show much higher level of genetic diversity, much deeper level of genetic structure, and much higher level of genetic diversity of mitochondrial DNA as well. While the selfing species, where we expected to have much more deeper level genetic structure, show that is mainly in southeast Brazil, there is only a single selfing lineage across around, I would say, three to 4,000 kilometers of coast. So a, a much broader geographic area has a much lower level of genetic structure compared to the outcrossing species that in a much shorter range has a very deep level of genetic structure. So that was surprising to us. And we started making inference about the biogeographic scenario that may be happening. And what we think, mainly one of the main conclusions of the paper, is the selfing species, all the genetic data that we have, has been indicated that selfing species has been, as far as we know naturally, colonizing the Brazilian coast somewhere from the north part of South America and met somewhere in between with the outcrossing species, Cryptolebis ocellatus, that was already living there. So the level of where we now see them together interacting, perhaps, and I don't want to spoil much, but there is another study on hybridization of these two species. But the, the places where they actually meet today, it seems to be an expansion range for the selfing species, a kind of secondary contact. And these species are very, genetically, they are very different from each other. Lucky us, because morphologically, it's very hard to tell. And this is a very interesting system that I'm very excited to keep working on 
we have two species under the same environmental pressures. They are genetically very different, have produced differently, and have different evolutionary histories, even in the same place. Mm. No, fantastic. And I guess, I mean, a lot of the stuff you're saying in there is very sort of interesting. And obviously with the mating systems, it's it's incredibly fascinating. But I guess in many respects, these fish are fairly unique. I mean, you've already mentioned that you kind of had to go to plant literature. So I wonder what you think the sort of big, broad message in this paper is. Like, what is it really teaching us more widely about animal systems? What I like to think about this paper is thinking about the conservation implications. If you only take into account how the species look like, generally speaking. And this paper provides a good example that even similar looking things can have very different evolutionary history in the same area. So if you're thinking about conservation policies, you have to take a species specific method, right? Because one method that was going to work for one is probably going to be detrimental to the other and the way around. So I think this teaches when thinking about conservation plans based on genetic information, it's nice to take into account species-specific particularities, even if the species look very similar to each other. I think it's a very good message. And I guess it's one that we're also hearing coming out a lot more and more, the more people are really sort of like getting into the genetics of these slightly overlooked species. And I guess I am largely out of questions, but the last thing that's always quite nice to ask is whether or not there's any aspect of the study that I've kind of forgotten to ask you about, but you think is really interesting and is worth exploring. Well, I'll give a a bit of... uh, I kind of mentioned already, but one of the ramifications that we found from this study that we hope to get published soon as well is the fact that it seems to have some sort of hybridization going on between the species in places in mangroves close to the city of Rio de Janeiro. What happened is this hybridization is especially unlikely because these species have produced mostly differently. And what we know on the selfing species is this sometimes hermaphrodites become males and they outcross. And we know that the selfing species has kind of been invading the coast of Brazil and met with these other, not sister species, but related species of mangrove killifish. And there is this whole new open area now for me. At the end of my PhD, I discovered this new area of the factors leading to hybridization. In theory, different mating systems has to be a very strong prezygotic barrier to hybridization, but it doesn't seem to be the case on these fish. They are even weirder than I thought before. <laughs> but, but, so we are investigating that. We want to investigate what's the what's going on on this, what possible environmental factors have broken the uh, reproductive isolation. We suspect there is something to do with pollution that opens a, a whole new area as well on evolutionary toxicology and, and, and evolutionary kind of urban ecology, more or less, and evolutionary biology. The system is has opened now many, many questions that I still hopefully will be answering them soon. Oh, fantastic. So I guess the only sort of real reproductive barrier is how often these females switch to male. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's another question. We don't know why or which factors take that make some hermaphrodites become males. And what we know of that's quite interesting, and I suspect that may be going on, is on the selfing species, we know that the males are the choosy sex, and the males prefer to associate with the most dissimilar hermaphrodite as possible. So if you're thinking about a heterospecific context where there are two species around, one individual become male and he's looking for a potential mate, he's choosing a potential mate, the most dissimilar hermaphrodite around is actually the hermaphrodite from the other species. <laughs> so, and, and in an environment that's already messy, it's hard to see, it's, it's very polluted as well. So the, the massive mangrove killifish is much bigger than I could ever imagine before starting this work. 
Mm. No, I mean, it sounds fantastic. And I mean, this study is obviously a really wonderful entry point if people want to get to, you know, uh, know a bit more. Um, So I wonder if just to finish off, you could remind us what your paper is called and also tell us about your co-authors and if there's anybody else who deserves a mention in this work. Of course. My paper is called, just because the species looks so similar and actually are so different, and it's called More Than Meets the Eye. Syntopic and morphologically similar mangrove killifish species show different mating systems and patterns of genetic structure along the Brazilian coast. Of course, this was not only done by me, so it's, I have a whole group with me that people have helped me both in the field or both in the lab. My supervisors, Sofia Consuega and Carlos Garcia de Leanes from Swansea University. Sergio Lima was my Brazilian supervisor from Universidade Federal do Rio Grande do Norte. I have to also say thanks to Andrei Tatarenkov that did most of the work on the microsatellites and my friends from Brazil who were covering mud with me, <laughs> Elde and Mateus. And Sergio was there as well when you assembled this fish. So these are the whole Mangrove Killifish Group. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you very much to them and to you for sharing this research with us. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. My pleasure too. Thanks to Waldir. It's an incredible system and I'd really encourage you to go and read the paper. You can find it on the Heredity website. That's nature.com forward slash HDY. But that's us for today. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetic Society. You can subscribe to the Heredity podcast on all good podcast platforms and you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm James Bregan. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 